Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message. This episode features a playback of a Springboard Your Virtual University edition from May 2009 as part of our Talent and Skill Development Series. In this interview, Bishop Jim Saar draws from his personal life and experience and intricately blends his knowledge of leadership, governance, and ministry to bring home important lessons to help listeners climb all the way to the next level of their lives. Enjoy it. With us in the studio tonight, we have our very special guest, somebody I really admire and respect, Bishop James Saab, Action Chapel. Welcome to Springboard, Bishop. Thank you, my brother. How is everything? How's the family? How's church? Alive and well. Wonderful, wonderful, Amen. wonderful. Amen. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show tonight. God bless you. We've been looking forward to this for many, many months, and yes. it's always a perfect time. Mm. In God's time. Amen. Wonderful. Tonight we'll be talking about a wide range of issues. We would start from church and then live into your your life and then move into governance and leadership and then cross over to economy and then cross over to quite a number of issues. And I hope that by the end of tonight's show we'll be... Mercy. <laughs> Let's start with yourself. Give yes. us an insight into the person, Bishop um, James, uh, um, what are some of the experiences over the years and had, yeah. how did he get you? Bishop James, sir. Uh, well, I know your middle name is Kweku. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, I, I'm not used to speaking about myself, but once in a while when you're on the sports, such as we have tonight, uh, they, they, you've got to do what you're expected to do. Um, Bishop James, I'm married, have a family. I've been in ministry since 1981. Um, I went to Nigeria on missionary service, served uh, under the Assemblies of God, uh, World Evangelism, uh, in Abba, in a place called Abba, which I think now is Abia State in eastern Nigeria. Okay. Yes, and I served for two years, uh, had a scholarship uh, by uh, an intervention of God, and in 1983 came over to Benin City, Nigeria, 1983, and worked with Archbishop Benson in of blessed memory for six years to seven years and through his ministry i had a large measure of exposure uh, by and large whatever i think i see Archbishop bishop as my spiritual father by virtue of attending his school he gave me a scholarship to all nations for christ bible institute and uh, also was uh, an international editor to him and also an associate pastor under the bishop bishop ojo then and uh, through his ministry traveled to many parts of the world America way back in the 80s traveled with him uh, to America to Europe to Southeast Africa many parts of the world and then 1989 in the purposes of God came to Ghana uh, strongly led by God to work with uh, Archbishop Duncan Williams and fifth April was 20 years Wow. Uh, since I served in action by the grace of God and so for a very comprehensive picture of how far we've come, that's about the bits and the pieces. Thank you very much. Yes. And I'm sure that in, in, in two minutes you've captured probably 20 years of experience in two years, minutes or, yes. or, or much more yes. than that. Yes. I, I would be very keen to pick up what are the leadership lessons because you, you talk about 
um, various roles. You talked mm. about editorial roles. You talked about um, roles tra- providing traveling support. Mm. And it will be interesting also to find out, for instance, the various countries, the cultural differences. What are the leadership lessons you've learned in, 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 in the course of this work? I picked up on the way. Yeah. Uh, leadership lessons. Well, first and foremost, uh, Greyhill Gimpa uh, teaches that leadership is influence. Um, and that's also Sanders, that leadership is influence and has certain several ethical dimensions which influences, filters into our choices, both private and public. So if you ask about major leadership lessons, uh, these issues of leadership and influence uh, affect our morality, our integrity, and affect our honesty, the various decision-making processes that go into leadership. Yes, major leadership lesson. I'll take one major leadership lesson. And that is applicable to Christian Action Faith Ministry. Um, when I was consecrated major leadership lesson, and it's, it's a landmark issue in my mind, yeah. when I was consecrated by my Archbishop, Nicholas Duncan Williams, in 19... That's 2001. 2001. Yeah. Um, Dr. Otterbill, uh at the dinner which my Archbishop held uh, in my honor made a statement wh- which throws light on some of the things I want to share with you. Dr. Otterbill made a very significant statement uh, when he had an opportunity to speak and he said, My consecration by my archbishop was a landmark event in the charismatic movement and he saw it as part of the growth processes of the charismatic movement in Ghana that was Dr. Tabel and the second statement he made was that it was a demonstration that very anointed people men and women with great grace can have a place in other people's ministry to explore and to apply their gifts without necessarily breaking away and going on their own. You catch my drift. Beautiful. Uh, until then, probably I didn't see it that way. Dr. Tabernan, I repeat it. It's a very significant statement that my consecration by the Archbishop was in effect, he saw it as part of the evolution, that there and then, to him, it marked that it was an expression in the mind of God that other anointed people, very anointed people, people with great grace, can have a place in another man's ministry and be blessed and succeed without necessarily being forced to break away or go on his own. And so that was a major lesson of leadership I learned. And so when, when you come back and put all the of it together in another man's ministry, among the things I've developed, developing the lessons I've developed, developing functional competencies, improving myself so I can be better. Fantastic. Faithfulness to my assignment. Developing functional competencies to be able to give greater support to my leadership and boss. And then faithfulness to my assignment. Then commitment to my call. And then loyalty 
to my leadership. And that's the Archbishop. And then finally, humility before God and men. If you are talking about, this is a very deep statement, talking about leadership lessons I picked along the way, developing functional competencies, faithfulness to my assignment, commitment to my call, and then loyalty to my leadership. And then humility before God and men. Okay. On the basis of the statement that Dr. Otabu captured on that night. And, I can, and trust me, these five pillars could mm. actually inform the whole discussion tonight. Because listening tonight are CEOs, listening tonight are leaders of non-governmental organizations, listening tonight are people who work in organizations like this. Mm. And the first question I'd like to ask you in, in response to this, this was a statement made eight years ago, which mm. has left a profound impact on your life. Eight years mm. after mm. looking at these are they relevant in the day-to-day running of every organization? And if so, how? Let's say in a bank, how would something like this be relevant? Uh, the five points, precisely. Yes. Yes. The five points I've raised, whether they are relevant. They, they, they should be. Um, Bill Gates says, yesterday's success is no guarantee of tomorrow's survival. <laughs> yesterday's success is no guarantee of tomorrow's survival. And I also read Yogi Bessa, a philosopher said, the future isn't what it used to be. It's not the past. Yeah. The future isn't what it used to be. I think I would, I would tailor the question, try to move away a little from it so that I can comprehensively deal with it. You're asking how relevant yes. are these issues I've raised here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or how did you put let, it? Let, let me let me let me, it again. Let's see. Let me let me go at it again. Let's see. Let's take for instance a bank. Let's take for instance mm. an organization like the one I run, or a number of other corporate organizations. You bring across a very important point mm. that somebody with ability, and it's something that is a subject that is very very hot in corporate circles. Mm. Somebody with extremely um, gifted t- talents and abilities mm. and experience. Does the person need? To always be at the very top and, and and you say that for you placing yourself in the position in which you've placed yourself you say functional competency faithfulness to your assignment commitment to your, your vision or your goals loyalty to your leadership and then humility before god and i'm saying that before god and men before god and men i'm saying that are these not things that are these are these applicable in the day-to-day running of let's say a bank an ngo any corporate organization yeah absolutely all around comprehensively yeah. jack weld said if you don't have competitive advantage, don't compete. Yeah. That helps us to zero in on this. That I believe that most people, I, I operate from what you call second chair leadership, that you are not the one calling the shots. Uh, you undergird a primary leadership. Uh, it comes at a certain cost. It comes at a certain price, but it comes with a certain blessing. Yes. Because you are not the one who takes all the bullets at the top, as it were. By the time it gets to you, it's smeared down. <laughs> is, it like, is it like Joseph seven in Pharaoh's house? I mean, not, particu- not yours in particular, okay. but you know, there, there's, there's, there's said to be four dimensions. Abraham mm. starts the business from okay. scratch, runs it all okay. the way through. Um, Isaac inherits from his father and mm. therefore runs a business he didn't necessarily start, but he inherits it all right. Then Jacob Jacob works with Laban. Laban is his uncle, so yeah, that's his, his uncle's business, so he supports in it. But then Joseph does not necessarily own it, but Pharaoh empowers Joseph to run the entire business, and Joseph gets rare privileges to do things that, I mean, are, are absolutely fantastic. I, I do agree with you, and I'll, I'll take it back to where we left off that. And for most people, 
and I think we'll later come to that somewhere at the end, that occupying a position by virtue of authority given to you does not always deliver the results. You need consistent improvement on yourself. You must update yourself to be able to live up to expectation, which is a statement Jack Welch made. Because the Bible also tells us by the mouth of Solomon that it's a man's gift that makes room for him. And it will bring you before great men. And the bigger your gift, the bigger your room. That, that is a statement of cons consistent self-improvement. Lifting up your gift to meet up to the contemporary, contemporary challenges and demands of your calling or your office. Or you'll be swept aside. So when you talk about developing functional competencies, competencies that help you to adequately match up to the demands and the callings of the job that you've been called to. So I make myself persistently and consistently successful or available. Or in other words, you can be available without necessarily being useful. Yeah. So updated, maybe that's a better word, or, updated to be able relevant. to meet relevant. Okay. Yes, for the lack of a better word. So what choices, what choices do you make on a deep? What, what have you done in, in the area of self-improvement? I, I, I particularly know that you did you, you read a, a master's in, in governance and leadership. Yes, I did a master's. What, for, for a pastor, what was your reason in, doing, in, 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 in taking oh, that course? On a day-to-day -day basis, I read not less than five books at a time. When I'm traveling by air, books constitute my excess luggage. <laughs> I have them in my toilet, washroom. I have them in my office. Uh, my wife considers my books her rivals. <laughs> I hope she's not listening. <laughs> she I'm sure she is. <laughs> my books are her rivals. I am an avid reader. I read voraciously. Because a man is not higher than what he knows. Time is limited today. People have just a small amount of time for you. When you have your head in, you've got to strike it big. Mm. And so you've got to impress. You've got to deliver with the minimum time that you have. And opportunities don't always come. And so it's on the basis of what you have to deliver. And so functional competencies and then faithfulness. A faithful man who can find. Mm -hmm. Everybody can boast about something. But faithfulness is a different ball game. And I think... By and large, in many places, faithfulness is becoming a very scarce commodity. Somebody said faithfulness is a cornerstone of character. I think so. I will not deny that. And then commitment, what you call stickability. Mm. You stay in there until you get results. Mm. Too many people give up. And then loyalty. And I've, I've said it, uh, and I will not for, uh, uh, go. Yes, in different forums. That loyalty is a matter of conviction and not a matter of perfection. Thank Most you. people may not agree with me, and I insist that loyalty is a matter of conviction. God told you to be loyal to this person. It's not a matter of perfection or convenience. Yes, okay. and no boss is perfect, and so these are the these are the things that has generated the grace of God that undergird how far God has brought me. Yes. Thirty-four minutes past the hour of seven, you're on Springboard tonight with the Bishop James Sa hanging out with yours truly, Albert, and with comfort as you try to explore <laughs> leadership and excellence in all aspects of life we're trying to find out about various parts of life comfort well um bishop yes. um do you think the scriptures do have anything to offer us i mean any any lessons for the day-to-day -day issues about leadership and management whether well, <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 the U.S. President Thomas Jefferson, one time U.S. said, I pray that men of principle 
will become our principal men. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Jefferson. One time. He said, I pray that men of principle and principle is found throughout the word of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The men of principle will become our principal men. The Bible speaks a lot about righteousness. That righteousness exalts a nation, not just the individuals. The whole nation is exalted uh, from Proverbs 14.34 on the basis of righteousness. But you see, righteousness has three characteristics. What we do, how we do it, and why we do it. Sometimes we don't break this into the nitty-gritty and we let people get away with it. Now, when we talk about righteousness exalting the nation, people quote it and they, we, we, they don't really appreciate the full implication of righteousness. Righteousness is three characteristics. What we do, how we do it, and every leader does something. The next thing is, how does he do it? And the next thing is, why do we do it? Men may not see the reason why you do things, but motives matter to God. And so the biblical principles of righteousness lay the foundations for moral leadership that affect the socio-political and economic structures of national development. Because once we answer the question in the socio-political and economic platform, on the basis of righteousness, what we do, leadership and management, how we do it, Leadership and management. Why we do it, leadership and management, we can all go to sleep. That the nation will come to a place of moral leadership. Mm. So the scriptures has a lot to do with it. I think I could I could take you further afield. Okay. I, I can immediately see that why we do it will be the motive. Okay. How we do it will be the process. Okay. And then what we do will be our actions. Mm-hmm. So will these be the things that you see are reflections of our righteousness? They become the driving force of moral leadership okay. or principle-centered leadership, uh, whether it's callings or COVID, uh, major theories, leadership coaches, uh, the, the, particularly those who have very Christian, very strong Christian base beliefs on leadership. That's the way it runs. So you but think ethics are uh, very important. We'll come to that by and by. But when we look at the word of God, you're asking how relevant are scriptures today today issues of leadership and management right down to the old testament when we go to daniel chapter 1 8 and 9 daniel said but daniel purpose in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's meat his decision in the palace was far from his home base he wasn't in a synagogue he was in an alien heathen society and yet what was in his heart was a reflection of his belief as a leader and that showed in the courts of a babylonian empire and it's the same thing with Joseph. In Genesis 39.9, we're asking about how scriptures affect leadership and management. Mm-hmm. We will say, uh, what, what, what title would we give Joseph? Maybe, uh, what is it? Floor manager? Whatever you call him. Or chief steward? Whatever you call him. He said, how can I do this? Great wickedness and sin against God. Mm-hmm. But it was supposed to be a matter between him and Potiphar's wife. It's, Why was it's, he bringing God in? consenting adults. <laughs> Oh, well, that, two, that's two, the term today. Yes, two consenting adults. And so nobody comes in. Nobody they comes agree in. to do it, yes. right or wrong. Yes. There are no rules. There are no ground rules anymore. You see? But the fact that he brought God into the equation, you're saying that that proves that scripture was relevant? In very, very. Very, very. Even in the heathen economy, okay. it, was, it was relevant. Can I make another point? Uh, be, because uh, the issue you are dealing with has borders on 
theory borders on concepts of leadership and management. It's important for us to drive it a little further. Uh, in my mind, success has a human face. Yep. Leadership and management. In, in my study, I think we are both at graduate school, uh, relationship-oriented leaders have been proven to make more results than task-oriented leaders. But relationship-oriented leaders must have a certain Bible-based principle. Just being morally good is not enough. Something can push you out of the system. Mm -hmm. You've got to have your faith and your belief founded on certain values beyond day-to-day -day impressions. And it must be founded on divine principles, which is the Word of God. And that's very important. And I think in conclusion, uh, dealing with that precisely, uh, the influence and the relevance of scriptures to day-to-day -day issues. Uh, when we talk about scriptures, day-to-day -day issues, the Jethro principle in Exodus chapter 18 gives us multilateral leadership, makes allowance for empowerment, delegation, in contemporary corporate study. Mm. In Jim Collins' book, Great to Good. Good to Great. Uh, sorry, Good to Great, Good. Good to Great, Jim Collins. Let, let me, yeah, he said, of 1,000, of 1,435 companies, hmm, Robert, you love to hear this, mm -hmm. of 1,435 companies that appeared on Fortune 500, only 11 made it into the study. Of the 11, all of them had level 5 leaders at the top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about level five leaders, leadership study shows that it's personal humility plus professional will. And personal humility is based on God's word. Men just don't wake up and become humble for the fun of it. Even if they, it's in their genes. At the end of the day, it's got to be founded on certain faith and beliefs. And in the light of God's word, it's in the Beatitudes. And in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, when the Bible says, let your light so shine before men, in Matthew chapter 5. And so, through and through, yeah. I can assert that the scriptures are relevant to day-to-day -day issues of leadership and management. And the Bible says, lastly, Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do in word and deed, mm. do it in the name of the Lord. Mm. So if you are the man at the top, that is your scripture. Mm. Word, we, you speak it, deed. Do it in the name of the Lord. The decisions you take, the things, the agenda you set, everything. That is it. Comfort? Well, um, Bishop, as we go along the way, I mean, what would you say is the source of a leader's um, power or authority? Leader's power or authority? Yeah. Um, we, we, would, we, would, we would address it uh, from two positions. Okay. Well, first of all, the question seemed to border on one's belief system, probably religious alignment. Questions uh, such as the one you're asking cannot be dealt with uh, superficially. That sources of a leader's power and authority, I think we recognize that Romans chapter 13 affirmatively states that all power... The powers that be are ordained by God. That's the bottom line. So all power and authority in a certain respect proceed from God. When we mention leadership, we talk about three things. Power, authority, and influence. 
power and leadership are interdependent. Power can exist without leadership, but leadership cannot exist without power. In addressing the issue, first of all, authority comes with an office or position. The Bible talks a lot about authority, and the Bible also speaks a lot about power. When we accept the authority of God's word, we prove its power. That is in the word. But because this is largely a leadership forum, we want to approach it differently. You're asking about power, authority in a leader's life. And the sources. And the sources of it. Authority consists. Sometimes we don't get the leanings right and sometimes the definition also begins to pose a problem authority consists of commission mm -hmm. the first element of authority is commission the second element of authority is backing because authority has weight yeah. the third element of authority is confidence knowing your work knowing who is backing you knowing the authority you have and then the fourth source of authority or element of authority is influence. And your influence grows or declines. Mm. The fifth element of authority is what I would call the else factor. The authority to punish or to deal with deviance. And the sixth element of authority is reward. But I think where the problem comes from is authority without commission which we see a lot of, or commission without authority that producing effectiveness. But in the light of God's word, when we go to Matthew chapter 18, uh, speaking largely as a man of God, sources of authority, we take a clue from what the centurion said to Jesus. He said, I said to this man, go and he goes. He said, I'm a man and authority. He established that he has authority. And then when he said, I said to this man, go and he goes, he was speaking about the power he has that accompanies authority. But I think when I look at the totality of God's word and also all the things I've studied, in the light of my expression, the five sources of power, I've dealt with authority, but the five sources of power is coercive power, ability to administer punishment, reward power, ability to bless people, legitimate power that comes with the office, expert power. I'm going to make a certain reference. Expert power based on your personal perceived knowledge or expertise and then reverend power. Power that comes with knowledge of the job and the respect people have for you. Mm -hmm. And if you ask me about sources of power and authority, these are the five sources. But the one that really takes the best type of power, when people willingly grant you authority and influence, is the power that comes from the people you preside over, who acknowledge that you know your work, you have your skills and competencies, and in addition, you have a lifestyle that matches up to it, that makes them willingly honor and respect you, besides your competence. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a source of authority and power. And that's where influence comes. So you, you come right to the heart. You raise two great issues that I would like us to respond to immediately. First of all, you come to the issue of character and competence. And these are 
heavyweights in terms of the authority of the leader. Now, if I pushed you to the wall to say, give weights, if you... If why, why, why would you push me to that? Oh, well, since we have you on air. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Let's say that we, we delineated the, the remaining three and left the two okay. on, on the balancing scale. And which is that? Character and competence. Character and competence. Yeah. Or better still, charisma. Charisma, mm. the competence, and, 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 and then character. Which one, what percentage would you give to, 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 to each? <laughs> Go over it again. It's All not right. as easy as that. You, you mentioned, you mentioned that, uh, uh, a few sources of authority mm-hmm. and you mentioned the competence mm-hmm. of the leader. Let's take with competence. You mentioned the competence of the leader, the ability to know one's job and be an expert in that job. Mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned the character. You mentioned out five and said at the end of the day, the two that you think are great are when people willingly submit to your leadership because they acknowledge that you know the thing. You and then also yes you know the job or you know your work and then additionally they also appreciate that the character you have is is and respectable to together produce a certain outcome exactly. called influence fantastic so we're talking about that influence and saying that so if you put the two on a weighing scale what percentage will it give to competence and what percentage will it give to character if any what what percentage would I give to character? And what percentage to competence for a leader to succeed? Character is said to be the highest collateral of personal leadership. Mm. Character is the highest collateral. It's called the moral compass of your values, your ethics, and the principles that govern your life. It is said we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. Mm. We teach what we know. But we reproduce what we are. That is character. That is character. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. So when Paul says, follow me, as I follow Christ, he's not just talking about showing you how to do the work. He's also talking about his lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You see, I believe that character is internal and charisma is outward. So something on the inside works on the outside. Yes, charisma works more with an external influence. Um, I was looking at the Encarta English Dictionary, Microsoft Encarta English Dictionary on charisma. It said, ability to inspire enthusiasm or affection in others through personal charm <laughs> and influence. But is that all there is to it? Okay. So will you give character like 60 and then... Oh, yes. Yes. I, I've read a, a lot of... Character will lean slightly above... Character will go 60. Because the collateral is very important. Yes. You use the word collateral. Yes. As, as the highest <laughs> collateral you can't borrow. for personal leadership. <laughs> so when you talk about charisma, maybe 40, and then character will take 60. Because recent research and in leadership development in Stanford, Harvard, and all the reports I've read uh, show... Uh, that by and large, there's not an overemphasis, but a very strong emphasis on the place of character in leadership. Do you, do you sometimes relax? Myself? Yes. Uh, what, what is your definition of relax? Cool down, unwind. And you so how? No, no, calm down, calm down. <laughs> you come across as a very intense person. You read a lot. You are always involved in one activity or another. Do you relax sometimes? And you say, how do you relax? I wouldn't say relaxation is a state of mind. Um... We have various ways of relaxing. Uh, someone can just hang by a wall five minutes and that, 
that, that is enough to sustain him for a long time. Now, now when, when I talk to folks, sometimes when I speak with my boy, I tell him, oh, there are students, you've got to be careful how you relate to them. They have a very strong photographic memory, very strong sense of retention. So he plays football, he's laughing all over the place, but just at one glance of the book, and he picks it up, and you think he's fooling around with you. When in the night, he just has to read once, but others could read 20 times before he breaks through. So, uh, if we use that as a cross-reference... Uh, ministry has made it difficult. I think this afternoon I was just sharing something. I don't know whether it was my boss, the Archbishop, but I was talking with someone. I, uh, yes, it was in the Archbishop's office. I just come from Adenta where I preached and we were sharing something and it came across and we were discussing about rest, relaxation, we were talking about something out of town. And the point I made is, in, in the last 20 minutes, uh, 20 years since I've been in action, and it's not just a case of action, and I may be speaking the minds of several men of God, I've not, I don't sleep in the afternoon. I've not been able to, much as I try. So I'm not, I don't go for a nap. I don't know what a nap is. I don't go for siesta or take an afternoon break. Uh, and I try to, I try to catch eight to ten hours of sleep. Yes. But sometimes for most men of God, I may be speaking the mind of several men of God. And the fact is, you think, oh goodness, you behave like the doctor. If the telephone rings, somebody may be dying uh, in the hospital and the telephone rang and I've put it off. Oh, doesn't it have ethical problems? Oh, somebody may be looking for me once. As a, somebody's wife may be delivering and I'm being called to pray and I put off. So there's a certain sense of guilt. But nobody is indispensable. Yeah. When a man of God is not there, nothing of God goes with him. Nobody is indispensable in the sight of God. And play, I think that's the play, root. Do you play any sport? Sports? Yes. Don't I look like a footballer? You look like what I'm finding out. I think because Chelsea hasn't signed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I used to play football vigorously. And, uh, Opposition? As, as, oh, 10, of course. Really? Oh, now I was a sharp shooter. Wow. Those days, I mean, Chelsea and Co. are not as pronounced as they are signing folks. I'm sure I could be laughing all the way to the bank. Wow. <laughs> Look out for the blue jersey with the number yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've given myself away that I'm a Chelsea fan. That's not fair. That's my all right. must be hearing me. He's my UN. He'll be at my What's throat. your boy's name? Oh, Kwame. Kwame, Kwame, you are in oh, the right please. team. Hi, Kwame, Stop tonight. It. Stop it. But you know what? On a more serious note, I jog. Mm. I jog. I jog. Uh, thrice a week, I go about three kilometers wow. speed walking. Uh, people are calling me Bishop James, say, Pastor, I don't care who, I don't even look at them. I have my life to take care of. And I jog and I, I, I drink a lot of water. I live on fruits. I live on fruits. If you go to my kitchen right now, I find a lot of uh, banana, watermelon. When I travel anywhere in the world, once I arrive, they deliver it because they know the vegetable man is here. <laughs> and it saves my life. It helps. It helps. I, there are a lot of things I don't eat after six. Invite me to dinner after six. I'm not showing up. I, I, and I, that's about it. Seven rules if you want to work with Archbishop, provide him with fruits, provide him with the Bishop James, <laughs> provide him with fruits, provide him with lots of water, take him on a walk, and don't give him food after 6 p.m. This is the board on which you step and spring to a greater future. Springboard on Joy 99.7 FM. We're talking about leadership, excellence, and everything in between with the Bishop, Jim Saar. So far, we've talked about his life and times. We've talked about leadership. We've talked about the scriptures and their relevance for management. And we've spoken about certain defining truths that we will summarize at the end of the program. You're writing. You've written quite a number of books. Mm. How have they influenced your life? and career I think your question should be the reverse how has it influenced those who have read it is that what you wanted to ask well 
when it influences your constituency, <laughs> it influences your own career. So, because you are a, you aim at a constituency, in my, in my opinion. So then st- restate your question. <laughs> <laughs> you are almost like a school teacher. <laughs> Has, how have your writings impacted your career? And I know I have seen that your career, obviously, with what you do, you are aiming at a particular group of people. And you, why did you go into writing? Let me put it this way: Why did you go into writing? Um, I read journals of mass communication um, in the early eighties at the Institute of Journalism, and uh, I've done other. You didn't add that one when you were talking about you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and I've done other courses progressively um, to the point where I did some editorial stints and became an international editor outside the country um, for many years. Whilst I was growing in the Lord, but even though it was on, on a Christian platform, um, uh, I, 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 I love to read books, and the outcome of it is that I love to write. I read and I love to write. I have a small notebook and I have over a thousand quotes of all kinds, and I carry it along, read them, try to assimilate them, imbibe them, memorize them, be able to use them, and things like that. But I, I try to write things that pertain to life, not just from an abstract position, but things that will have relevance to the lives of people. I believe, uh, Uncle Albert, that I don't know whether people admit it, but authors write books at different dispensations and phases of their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I came to Ghana in 1989, the first book I wrote in my early 90s was, I'm not sure you've seen that book. Road to the double portion. It's also to a certain point, it has to do with leadership at a certain very low level. At that time, I've not made the kind of progression by the gods of grace. Uh, God's grace I've done, uh, I've prog- uh, progressed in action. And then my next book was on something else, the finger of God, which yeah. won the which, which, yeah. Yes. And then the next one, the mystery of success. Yeah. And then when I came out uh, from Gimpa uh, with the masters, uh, that's when I wrote Seize Your Moment. Yeah. which we'll be talking about later, which has to do with uh, the various uh, phases of life and how you position yourself. Which, which one is your favorite? The finger of God. Why? The finger, oh, not because it won an award. I'm a praying person. Okay. I, I am into spiritual warfare. Uh, but it's a book that has great impact and influence. Maybe because I also did creative writing at that level. I'm able to... Uh, put forth uh, the, my frame of thinking and be able to articulate my thoughts forcefully uh, to be able to... Bring. Someone read it on British Airways in India on his way to London and I was in Cote d'Ivoire when he arrived in Ghana. My wife had called and said, there's an Indian man here, he's an elder in the Baptist church. He said he read your book from uh, New Delhi and he's in, he has come to Ghana, he wants to take you to uh, India to come and go and preach because of the book. Did he go? My bishop said you can't go. <laughs> I don't know where India is. <laughs> You don't make journeys like that. Life doesn't work that way. Okay. <laughs> and I have right. no regrets I didn't go anyway. Right. Next time, yeah, so, next time they, should come, they should come from... Um, okay, you will go for me. Then. <laughs> but on a more serious note, uh, these books have... Uh, I monitor its influence and I monitor how uh, people have been touched by the books and it gives my, me My personal joy. favorite is um, Seize Your Moment 
not because we published it, mm. but because I, 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 I could identify with the subject. Opportunity is a very important subject mm. in the scope of things when it comes to leadership and management. And let's talk about opportunity for a minute or two. Mm. Um, what kind of preparation must one make as you await your opportunity? And that, 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 that for me is... Yes, if, if I, we take deductions from my book, which I think what you have in mind, uh, David was ready when yeah. the call of King Saul came. Yeah. David was ready. Uh, it is said that success is opportunity meeting preparation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Opportunity plus preparation equals success. Yep. The saddest thing in life is a tragic comedy. When your time comes and you are not ready. Mm. Well, because opportunities don't come often. Yep. The man wants to marry you and you don't know how to cook. Let's bring his brass tacks. Let's get to the, where the time meets the road. It's not only about leadership. I mean, there are many ways we, that this can give expression to. Would you be ready when your time comes? The king will be either demon-possessed, the king will need help, and he wants someone. It was someone in the palace who recommended David. Absolutely, because he had been working very hard in the background. Yeah, John the Baptist recommended Jesus. Life is about recommendations. Somebody knows somebody you don't know. Whether it's for a job, whether it's for a wife, whatever. That's the way life is structured. Let's, let's stay with that point. Yes. And so when the recommendation comes mm-hmm. and you are called upon, you must perform. Yes. What if you are not in a good mood that day? It's not about mood. Mm. It's about what you can deliver. <laughs> it's not whether the man has brushed his teeth or washed his clothing. He should be able to kick the car if he says he's an engineer. And we'll give him the job. You know, I don't know it or I don't know it. You know, there's a hotel chain in America, a very popular hotel chain owned by an old man that nobody knows. And he walked into one of his own hotels. He's the majority shareholder of the hotel. Mm. And the front desk lady was having a bad day. She had had a, she was in a bad mood. She hadn't, she didn't feel like talking to the old man. And she made the old man sit in the corner for over one hour. Only to find out that he was the owner of the hotel. And they call this one, I shack my chef. <laughs> when she found out, you know how suddenly when people realize who you are and then they want to be nice. And the moment... I faced it in a church in Accra. I was a guest speaker and I'm smallish. They think power is my size. And they made me wait in the corner for a while. And the secretary just blooded my nose, asked me to sit in the corner. He said, oh, there's no chair here, sit here. We're waiting for the guest speaker. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go with any of my ADs and those, these mobile phones. I didn't have two, three carried. I sat there. Until the... The, the host came and said, Where is the man of God? We are waiting for him. It's time. He said, Oh, he's not come. There's just a man sitting in the corner there. <laughs> and there you were. Whether he's also a visitor here. And he saw me. He froze. <laughs> if, it, I didn't interv- if I didn't intervene, he would have been fired. <laughs> she begged on all fours. <laughs> she crawled and begged him in tears. He was in tatters. And I had to plead. So it happens. Yeah. But so, so probably the lesson for each one, each and every one of us is to be ready at all times. Goodness, you must be. And, when the and, opportunity and I comes. think the point you should stress as we leave office, I learned from Gimpa, development is knowledge intensive. Mm. I will never forget when my prof made that statement. Development is knowledge intensive across board. Development in every area of life is knowledge intensive. If you are going to move from where you are to the next level, you have to got to have the knowledge equal to the next level. Otherwise, you stay put. Well, um, how do we redeem the next generation and from the face of the threat? It will take a multifaceted approach. Okay. And also multidimensional. It will, it will not be just a flash in the pan. Uh, no, no, no. And it cannot be legislated. Mm. Uh, it, with the, the dimension and the size of the problem, mm-hmm. we can't wish it away. Mm-hmm. Now, it will take all stakeholders coming on board. 
the church will have a role to play, NGOs will have a role to play, parents. But the problems of parenting has to do with socioeconomic and political challenges. Mm. Is streetism going to go back as a higher agenda issue? Mm-hmm. Are politicians interested in streetism? Are they interested in the issues that matter? These are the vital issues. If you talk only about soccer, or you talk only about a juvenile delinquency, it's just a tip of the iceberg. It's a long shadow of a bigger problem. What is the other root of the problem? The root of the problem is the socioeconomic problems that are girls who are prostitutes by virtue of the fact that parents have sent fathers, mothers cannot take care of them, and she's got to put out what she has to get what she wants. And what is at the root of the parents not being able to take care of them? It's the state of the economy. I mean, politicians should put their act together. If you say the promises you make, we hold them accountable and they should deliver the results so that they improve the livelihood of the people, create more jobs, so that there could be a platform where people are are, are receiving reward for their labor and there is a meaningful, sustainable income that keeps life together. Is there a moral dimension to this issue? Big time. There is. The church will also have a, a, a part to play. Uh, we may gradually have to move away from some of the messages we preach mm. and also create a platform for smaller pressure groups that will deal with this. Uh, churches, single parents are becoming a major part of the church. Mm. But how many churches also have single parent groups in the church? Single parents, so when they are meeting, single parents are not there because they are neither married nor single. Uh, cuts in between mm. yes and so these are some of the challenges but i think to take a holistic approach but whether we are ready or not is another matter it will be take government church civil society private enterprise and all the stakeholders to deal with it it won't be overnight reverend steven C- reverend steve says after careful needs assessment i will give it to the non-functional staff in order to build him up but bishop you've made two significant statements that i, I need to respond to and i'd like to commend you on them first of all you talked about the church tailoring its message to meet the current needs in order to be relevant. The second thing you have said, and it relates to the same issue, is that an author, as the author migrates to a different level, must write in response or according Mm -hmm. to the level of exposure and the level at which you are preaching and the context within which you are preaching. And these two, I find very interesting. One of the things I wanted to ask you, in half a minute, what has been the most defining moment in your life? Defining moment, I think my consecration by the courtesy of my archbishop, uh, definitely I cannot ignore that. I owe a lot by the grace of God uh, to where I am, to the platform he's giving me, and I say it unashamedly. It's, it's encouraging, it's such a beautiful, beautiful testimony. Unashamedly. Have you failed before? I, I understand that failure is the flip side of success. On that account, I have. Because I'm not, we are not perfect. Uh, feet of clay so I've failed before and nobody's ashamed of that how come you but I'm a comeback kid that's what I wanted to ask about (laughs) how come you're here I'm here because I paid the price I endure and I believe tomorrow will be better than today your tomorrow will be better than today wherever you're listening from whether it's Azerbaijan Afghanistan or Morocco the bishop says your tomorrow will be better than your today let me give a thought for, for just a moment Success is being happy with what you have. My definition of success. Success is being happy with what you have. And lastly, today success is survival. Make sure the secret of your success includes God. Mm. Mm. When all is said and done, you cannot succeed without God. You shouldn't. Wonderful, wonderful. And this has been Springboard. Bishop Jim Sa, it's been wonderful having you tonight and it's been very insightful. 
God bless you. Our warm regards to the family, particularly Kwame, who supports Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the words of high jumper Bob Bimon, who says, Whatever you do, don't do it halfway. Keep smiling. Jesus loves you. And guess what? Your personal value just shut up. My name is Albert, and I've been here with Comfort. Good night, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert N. E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-2499-900. You may also subscribe to amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. Searching for love.